Hi, I'm Allie. And I'm Noelle. And And we're we're licensed licensed to gossip. Get ready for a juicy breakdown of pop culture and the law with two attorney besties. We won't be giving any legal advice, but we are here to have a good time. So let's get into it. All right, everyone, L2G babes, you've made it to the last episode of our first season. The grand finale. (laughs) The grand finale, fireworks. We're so excited. We can't believe 10 episodes. I know. It's honestly, yeah, it's surreal. I don't feel like it's the last one. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. Well, if you've stuck with us, thank you. We really appreciate it. It's been Such a fun, busy journey for us, (laughs) learning lots along the way. And we hope you learned a lot along the way, too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, love that. Well, let's just jump into our episode 10 today. Allie, what the fuck happened since our last episode? So I feel like we have to mention that the legendary Tina Turner passed away um I know the queen of rock and roll I know she was an absolute legend and I really didn't know a lot about her um I mean besides just her amazing music and I was Mm -hmm. reading more about her because there's so many really beautifully written obituaries written about her um that I was reading yesterday and Mm-hmm. Yeah, she just lived an incredible life, and she was an absolute pioneer for um, women, and particularly black women in the music industry, and her... Yeah. And older women, too. Like, her age, you know, she didn't really become big until she was in her 40s, which is rare now, but was even more rare at that time, too. So I right. feel like, yeah, for a black woman who was older, she was actually... She was the first... Uh, actually, she was the oldest woman to have a song that topped the Hot 100. Yeah, her her yeah, solo so. career definitely came a little bit later in her life, and I think that's you know so amazing. I mean, she you started out in like a kind of a duo situation with her husband at the time, um, who you know later um, in her life, like she said, was you know abusive, and um, it was an incredibly um, abusive relationship and for her to like come out of that and then launch her solo career uh, it was truly unprecedented and especially you know for a woman to to go against like you know to call out an abuser at that time in this like you know mid to late uh, 20th century and really nobody believed her and um, I don't know we still see that kind of narrative happening today because especially for black women mm-hmm. in the media black women um celebrities like I'm thinking of like the most recent example I can think of is like Megan the Stallion when she yeah. was talking about how she was shot and like everybody immediately was like discrediting her disbelieving her like people on social media and people in her industry like other other rappers like I think Drake and like 21 Savage are in like 50 Cent are some of the examples of rappers who um basically we're really against Megan the Stallion calling out uh, her yeah. abuse and but then you know I think she regained a lot of her credibility when um, he was criminally charged and um, convicted and I just, but yeah. that shouldn't have to happen for us to believe believe women um, who are, no. you know so um, but, but Tina Absolutely Turner not. is an absolute fucking legend she is yeah incredible yeah I actually saw Tina the musical when it was still on Broadway Um, it's not anymore but it was it's on tour still 
and maybe in the West End also. Um, but they did portray a lot of their relationship to her and Ike's. Like it kind of starts, you know, with their the Ike and Tina Turner review, like that whole beginning stages, and then her, you know, branching out and finding her voice and like creating that path for her. And yeah, that was really the first time that I that I saw that. I didn't know much about her before that too. So it was very empowering to watch um, and, and really just incredible to see her journey, um, you know, like we mentioned, already inherently as a black woman at that time. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't know if you know this too, but he actually maintained the copyrights for all the songs that they had sang together right. during their review. So she couldn't sing any of those songs. So like she was really left, like when she left him, she was left with nothing, not even the music that they had done together. So she really had to start. Which she was like, the she was the up. main creative person in that duo. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, unsurprisingly, yeah. you know, because she's like a musical genius. But um, she mm-hmm. was like the main creative person. And then she, you're right, she had none of her cop the copyrights. And then I also mm-hmm. read that he basically like, trademarked her name as part of under a part of their duo. And then wow, he tried to so prevent wild. her from using her own name um, to establish her solo career. But it didn't stop her. Like, she ended up becoming one of the best-selling artists, solo artists and Mm -hmm. duo artists of all time. Um, So she's, yeah. Yeah, over 100 million records sold. So incredible. Wild. And I, this is more just, I really didn't know this, but so she lived in Switzerland uh, for the the past, was it Switzerland? Yeah, that's where she passed away, right? right? For the past like 20 or Mm -hmm. so years of her life, like she kind of retired um, and then moved to Switzerland Mm -hmm. with her partner. And I didn't realize she gave up her U.S. citizenship. And I just thought it was so interesting. Um, She's like, I think she's from Tennessee. And um, yeah, so she gave up her U.S. citizenship. And then I was reading more about just her connection to Europe and everything. And she was a lot more popular in Europe, actually. Like, I didn't realize, like, as far as her musical career was, she was actually even bigger globally, bigger in Europe than she was in the United States. In the U.S. Yeah. Wow. So, That's super interesting. She's... Wow! Amazing. What a legend! What a what a queen! Um, Yeah, she definitely impacted the entire music industry and the entire world with her legacy and her hits and her amazing music. Yeah, I know. Yes, on repeat this week. (laughs) Yes, I know. (laughs) Um, Well, unless unless sad news. Um, I mean, well, we're celebrating Tina Turner, right? It's not. Yeah, it's not sad. She lived. She lived an amazing life. Um, Yeah, but. The cane can. <laughs> I knew I was gonna say it wrong. Can, you're like the <laughs> no else had to correct me the, on this. The can. The, the I can. feel like I hear con a lot. Canis. 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 Con. I know. I feel. I said con it's yesterday can, yeah. when you corrected me, and then I said cane today. I was like, fuck. I knew I was gonna say it wrong. Um, the. the I only know, in my defense, I only know because I've been there a few times. I said it wrong many a time before yes, going there. Yes. So for, if that makes for you feel any who, better. <laughs> who don't know what we're talking about, it's the, the Cannes Film Festival is going on yes, right now. <laughs> in Cannes, France. Yes. Yes. It's stunning out there on the water. Beautiful little city out yes, in Cannes. Yes. So I've been seeing a lot of stuff about that because I'm all over like Filmstagram and I don't know. Can yes. just annoys me. Like I know you've gone and you really like loved it and enjoyed it, but <laughs> I haven't gone during the festival. Oh, to be okay. Clear. I've just, just gone, gone and the... enjoyed the oh, town. Okay, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that the whole festival is just so. Mm, what's the word? 
pretentious. Yeah, pretentious is probably the best word. Yeah, the, the whole, the, everything receives a, a standing ovation. Like you see these, oh, um, mm-hmm. what was it last year with Blonde? Anna Armas received oh, like yeah. a fucking 16 minute standing ovation for performance and in, it in a, the whole of this horrible movie. <laughs> and it's like every movie receives a standing ovation. So if you read like somewhere that this film received a six minute standing ovation or something, that's like the minimum. That's regular. That's the minimum. That means <laughs> yeah. the movie sucked. You know? <laughs> it's like it's like when kids have those little uh like dance competitions and stuff where like everybody gets a medal. So like the lowest one is like gold and it goes up from to there. Super gold. You know, so you're like right, like platinum, super gold, high gold, whatever, all those things. So it's like, oh I got a gold medal. It's like, yeah, that's actually the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> yeah. So that's how it is with with uh can and yeah. Um but we still love it. I love all the outfits. It's it's a fun time. Yeah. And the weather's which I didn't know until reading more about it recently that there's this weird um what is it like a dress code for women where they have to wear oh yeah the Mm -hmm. high heels and this creates a fuss every year because there's always some female celeb that basically breaks the rule and where like Jennifer Lawrence this year wore flip-flops underneath her Incred Dior gown. I think it was Dior. (laughs) She looked amazing. She was mothering. Mother was mothering. Um, Mothering, yes. And so people were like, oh my God, Jennifer Lawrence wearing flip flops. And it's like, okay, this happens every year at Cannes, apparently, because I guess Mm -hmm. Julia Roberts has like gone barefoot on the red carpet in protests. And then Kristen Stewart's like taken off her shoes Mm -hmm. in like the middle. And yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, you all would be wearing heels anyway. Like, if that event were happening here, it's just because the rule is there. Now everyone's like, no, I want to protest it. Which, like, it is a ridiculous rule. Like, I will say that. But I'm just like, come on. Like, I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I I agree. They'd be wearing it anyway. Although, I don't know. Mm -hmm. K-Stu might have worn sneakers because... She was that girl. She was wearing the Converse and the dresses, like, way before Mm -hmm. it was cool to do so. She originated. Yeah, what was that movie that she did where oh she it, it was, was like was she, it Joan the Jet? She was she portrayed Joan Jet. I don't remember what the name of the movie Joan was. Joan Jet. Yeah, that Cherry. I don't know. Something. Well, because the I feel song like it was is that Cherry era. Bomb, right. That's Cherry the, like, Bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't remember what. Maybe it was just Joan. I can't remember. But yeah, no, Joan is that movie with the what's her name won the Oscar for Renee Zellweger. Right? Oh, Judy. No, that's, that's Judy, Judy Garland. Oh. <laughs> right. Well, I feel like there's a not Judy Garland is not rocking the converse. <laughs> the grunge vibe. Maybe there's Renee. Uh, oh, wait, man. I feel like there that's is a, a movie image. named Joan, though, but it's not about Joan Jett. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, well okay. Whatever. Anyways. Nope. Either way, she was iconic and Def created that look. You're totally yeah, right. Yeah, Love Case, too. She's the greatest. Love well, Case, That's too. all of our. That's all I have about can updates. We'll keep. We'll see if there's any new uh, red carpet photos or any other drama that unfolds. But uh, any more? Wait, any more spitting drama? Was that at Can last year? The whole Chris Pine oh, spitting, or was that something else? I, don't I can't remember, remember where that, that happened. Can. But maybe that was at Can. <laughs> see if any spitting drama occurs. I he definitely uh, but, spit. By the way. <laughs> Yeah, for sure spit. Yeah, no doubt about it. For those of you who don't remember, this was Chris Pine and Harry Styles on the whole Don't Worry Darling. I think everyone remembers. Uh, 
I think everyone remembers this. We don't need to go into the deets. Um, but to launch into our episode, speaking of can, no. <laughs> we're going to be talking about some iconic Campbell soup cans and the artists that created pop art versions of these, none other than Andy Warhol. Andy. <laughs> Did you love that transition? I... <laughs> Yeah, it was six out of ten. Right. It was a little cheesy. Six out of ten. <laughs> the can, the Campbell soup can, yes. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be talking about Andy Warhol because there was just a copyright case involving him, not with one of his Campbell soup can works, but another one of his works that made it all the way up to the Supreme Court, which is pretty rare in copyright case law. Pretty rare in any case. Um, but law. <laughs> very true. Very true. Um, but yeah, and it, this just happened last week. Um, so we'll kind of give a little background on Andy Warhol and, you know, some of the particular facts of this case and break down some copyright law and fair use basics on our episode yeah. today. So we've mentioned fair yeah. use a couple times. So now's the time, I think, to uh, dive in really dive in. Yeah. So I'm sure everyone's heard the name Andy Warhol. He was really known for creating the pop art movement back in the 1960s. I feel like he would have been an L2G babe for sure. So I think he's most iconic for, you know, those pop art pieces that he does, like the Flavor Marilyns, where it's like a bunch of images. It's the same image of Marilyn Monroe, but in different pop art colors. Also, there's the eight Elvises. Yeah, where you see him, that jailhouse rock, you know, like the eight times kind of overlapping. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really into that repetition. And Ob's the Campbell Soups. <laughs> and Ob's the Campbell Soups. Yeah. So if he wasn't doing celebrities, he was doing like random household objects to you know, try to show that anything can be art. Yeah, and which was controversial at the time. And it's still controversial, mm-hmm. I feel. People don't love yeah. the modern art, not everyone. Yeah, it was definitely a modern take. Which, um, but yeah, so he was... Oh, I was going to ask, where, yeah, where is it? Is that at the the Met or the MoMA, like all the Marylands and the Campbell Soups? I, I think there's some at, at both, at actually. Both? Okay. Um, yeah, but definitely the MoMA, I'm has, sure has, they're there. But okay. I think there's some in both locations, yeah. yeah. So if you're in NYC, mm-hmm. you can go see them. Yeah, <laughs> go check it out. Yeah, um, but so yeah, he was really big in the 60s, and then I feel like he kind of got not so popular. He wasn't doing too hot for a while. Mm-hmm. And then in the 80s, he kind of started embracing more of like the neo-expressionist movement and working with street artists and kind of the most famous collaboration was between him and Jean-Michel Basquiat in the 80s. Um, and he was a super well-known artist at that time. And you know, unfortunately, he um, died very young when he was 27. Oh. Um, but he, wait, yeah, it was, it's really, really sad. I turned 27 I know. in a couple of days. <laughs> wait, yeah, wait, that's really sad. Yeah, he's part. Well, you've heard of that, right? Like, not to be a downer, but you've heard of like the Twenty Seven Club, right? No. Where it's like all these like fame celebrities who've died at the age twenty seven. No, yeah, there's like a whole bunch of well, them. Thank God, I'm not yeah, a celebrity. it's like a weird thing. Yeah, just like a bunch of these young artists and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, really is it sad. Like an Illuminati so anyway, thing? he's one like, of them. Is it like a conspiracy theory situation. I don't think so. I don't think it's that far. I think it's just one of those weird coincidences okay. where there's like so many of them that people have kind of like dubbed it as like, oh, they're part of the club. 27 yeah I know it's kind of sad I know it's weird yeah look into it it's very weird but um anyway just just shedding some light on that um and a little bit of background on Andy Warhol and Basquiat and um 
we'll jump into our facts at hand. So this was not one of their collaborative works, but this was going back to one of his pop art works that he had done, actually, of prints. Um, so this photo was taken by a photographer, a female photographer named Lynn Goldsmith, um, and it was taken of Prince in the early 80s, and she had given Vanity Fair, the magazine, a license to use this photograph that she had taken in an article that they were doing about Prince mm -hmm. at the time. Um, in the 80s, he was very, like, you know, up-and-coming, yeah. big art, which is wild to think about that now. I know, that, that Prince um, was ever up-and-coming and not, right. like, born a legend. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think this was, yeah, pre-Purple uh, Rain. So um, wild to think about that. But yeah, so she had this photograph of him, very iconic photograph, and Andy Warhol had actually done one of his pop art style reiterations of it, of this photograph right. in different colors. They like reached out, like Vanity Fair like reached out to Warhol and was like, hey, can you make a piece of art like using this photograph? So, like, they, like, specifically Yeah, like, them. they, like, contacted him um, and, like, asked him to create this specifically for their magazine cover. Right, yeah. right. So, so he did that, and they used it in the magazine, um, and everything was great. It was very, you know, well-received. And then um, Vanity Fair, upon Prince's passing in 2016... Vanity Fair ended up doing a commemorative edition, you know, to celebrate his life. And they ended up using that print, Andy Warhol's print, not the photographer's photo, mm -hmm. on the cover of that 2016 commemorative magazine. Um, and so the issue here was there wasn't a license that the photographer Goldsmith had given for this one. It was a one-time license that she'd only given for that first print in the 80s. Right. So, you know, when this uh, came about in 2016, that's where this lawsuit came up um, because, you know, she wasn't receiving any money from that, didn't receive any licensing fee from that. So, and the licensing fee um, she received in the 80s was like $400 and... Mm -hmm. Like, to yeah. get paid one time $400 and then have these big magazines, like, selling all these magazines with your picture on the front. I mean, they're obviously making more than that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so true. That's a really good point. Yeah. It's, it's like, the least that they could do. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So... It, you know, so she brought this suit and actually she brought it against the Andy Warhol Foundation. Um, so the district court actually held in favor of the Andy Warhol Foundation um, that they were he was not infringing on her copyright and that this was an example of fair use. Um, then it went up to the uh, Court of Appeals who reversed that and ruled in favor of the photographer Goldsmith. Mm. And then the Supreme Court opinion, which we just have now, affirmed that one. So ruled against Warhol in favor of Goldsmith. So that's just a little bit of background on where we are now. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for the little procedural background. <laughs> it was yes. taking me back to uh, those law school days. What's the procedural posture of this case? Procedural <laughs> posture. Yeah, like, we're here, we're here, now we're all the way at the Supreme never Court. Never hear the word procedural <laughs> posture or the phrase procedural Ew. posture again. I'd be very happy. I hate that. Um, <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, so we're in this world of fair use. So Let's give a little fair use background. Um, yeah. So fair use is a defense to copyright infringement. So it's basically, you know, this person, whoever the artist, 
this person is infringing, right? There's no doubt they're using someone else's work that is copyrighted. Um, the question is just now whether that use was fair, whether, whether we're going to allow it under copyright law anyway, because it furthers the purpose of copyright law. So, mm-hmm. so it's a defense and it's a balancing test. Um, there are four factors and all of these factors are balanced against that purpose of copyright law, which is, again, you know, we've talked about it in previous episodes, but it's to encourage creation through exclusivity um, and give an economic incentive, incentive to artists for creation of new works. So there are basically four statutory factors that courts look at, and they are the purpose and character of the use. That's number one. And the use that we're talking about here is the the infringer's use, whoever was using the art in the way they shouldn't have been potentially. Um, So then we have for the second one, there's the nature of the copyrighted work, um, which is the original work that we're talking about in that one. And then there's the amount and and substantiality of the portion used in relation to the copyrighted work as a whole. Um, And then there's the effect of the use on the potential market or value of the original copyrighted work. So, I know that was a lot and I just wanted to, you know, give all of those factors, but we're really only going to be talking about that first factor today, which is the most important one in the Warhol okay. case. So we're going to be really talk, talking about and diving in to the purpose and character of the use today. And a, a big portion of this test and the way it's been interpreted over time is this first factor really does look at the transformative nature of the potentially infringing use to determine whether or not it's it's transformative mm-hmm. enough um, to right. like basically create a new purpose and character. So can we can you dive into mm-hmm. a little bit more about yeah. the transformativeness? Definitely. Yeah. So the more basically to, to your point, like the more transformative something is, the more that's going to show fair use, you know, and the, the more that that's going to be OK um, and not infringing on on the copyright of the original um, artist. And so that is sort of a subset of that first factor that you talked about, the purpose and uh, the purpose and character of the use. And I think uh, one of kind of the most popular examples of transformative use is parody of what we call a parody. You know, like you really need to conjure up the idea of the original work in order to have a successful parody Mm -hmm. but you really transform it so much you know like you are creating a totally new work um from that original one you know creating your own statement whatever it is from that original and um just to share my favorite one that I've seen recently um Titanic the musical off Broadway is such a fun parody of like Titanic the movie, of Celine Dion, of just like tons of other things combined. But, and it's so funny and fun, but it's just, it's a great example, I think, of something that like really utilizes all of that underlying work, um, but it creates its own thing. Right. So that's, that's just like example. one example. I feel like another good one is yeah. everybody knows like Weird Al Yankovic. Like he, yes. all mm-hmm. of his songs oh, are yeah, parodies or of other of other songs. So Technically, you know, under the fair use doctrine, um, it, it very clearly meets, the, you know, the, this doctrine that it really is transformative based on and the satirical nature um, and the, of, mm-hmm. of the message that he's sending in the songs. Uh, but so he wouldn't need to yeah. license, right? He wouldn't need to license the music yeah. underlying. Um, 
But fun fact that a lot of the time he does because just just he to respect anyway. the, the artist, like he <laughs> he does uh, always get mm-hmm. licenses for his works. But yeah, they would be considered fair use too. So we love parody. Yeah, that's a great example too. Yeah, so I feel like that's just kind of like the most common way that you see this used. Um, but to dive down to like the tests that courts actually use to see if something is transformative or not, they look at whether the new work adds something new that has a further purpose or a different character, which alters the first with a new expression, meaning, or a message. And so those are the kind of the, the way that they break down this test. Okay. So it doesn't um, have and they've to determined be parody. It doesn't have to be parody. It, it doesn't, doesn't have to be. That's just right. kind of like what we think of as a right, great example right. of it. But as long as it meets those factors of the test, we're okay, you know, because yeah, obviously we don't have parody going on in this Andy Warhol <laughs> situation. But yeah, there's ways to meet it, you know, that are that fall short or somewhere in between of parody. Um, Yeah, but some things that courts have decided are not enough to meet that are photocopying something that's just a straight-up copy. That doesn't count. Um, Or a change in medium. If something that's the exact same, but you're changing, you know, going from, like, a paper to canvas Mm -hmm. or something like that. Like, that wouldn't be enough, too. So those are just a couple of examples of things that are not enough. But, of course, it's a gray area. It's a sliding scale, and it's really dependent upon the facts of each individual case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there was there was this artist that we had a few cases on in copyright law. Um, Jeff Coons was his first name. Jeff, I think it was. Mm. Yeah, Jeff yeah. Coons. Yeah, he does like those, um, you know, like the balloon sculpture thing. Yeah, like the chrome, the balloon chrome balloon sculptures. Balloon sculptures yeah. Which, <laughs> yes, which he was sued <laughs> over um, over some of those uh, because. Yeah, there was like what he there was an ornament like a Christmas ornament that was like a balloon. Yeah, like the what are they? The animal balloons, like the ones that mm-hmm. clowns yes. make. <laughs> the clowns make. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like those. Like that's what he right. does. That's, that's what like he's his famous, famous for. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but there's a, a different case dealing with him where he basically uh, used a photograph from an advertisement. It was like a promotional advertisement for a pair of sandals, and I don't remember. It was in like a magazine or something. And um, he basically took this photograph from this advertisement and kind of, you know, removed the background and added some different elements and put it in a weird way on like a canvas. It was, you know, kind of a graphic style, pop art style kind of work. And but he didn't get the license from the original photographer for the photo that was in this this ad. And um, Mm -hmm. there was a court case and his work was found to be transformative in nature. They really were looking at this transformative use under that, um, that first, that first factor of the purpose and character of the use. Mm -hmm. So the reason it was found to be transformative was primarily because it had a different meaning or message than the original photo. So the original photo was primarily commercial in nature. And under this first factor, under this transformative use, courts often look at whether, the purpose is commercial or if it's nonprofit educational. That's an, that's an important mm-hmm. consideration. Um, so the original photo was commercial. It was an advertisement. It was just intending to sell shoes, you know. And then his uh, kind of creation that he made using the photo was really commenting on the commercialism and the materialism of society. You know, he like kind of took the the model's legs and the shoes and I don't know, he added all these weird other factors and it was, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it was intending to, um, to comment uh, apparently on the commercialism and materialism of society. So he used a photo from an actual advertisement to do so, which kind of strengthens that 
commentary. Right. Like he needs to do that, right? I mean, yeah, I feel like his comment, I mean, maybe not needs, but I feel like the commentary wouldn't be as strong if he wasn't using an actual ad. Exactly. As part exactly. Of it. I yeah. think that it speaks to the, the truth of that message um, to use something from yeah. an actual advertisement, kind of like the way you talked about with parody. Totally. It's like, well, you kind of have to use like, you know, you have right. to use whatever you're parody- parodying. <laughs> enough of it. Yeah, you, you have to use enough, enough of, it. of it so people realize what you're doing. Otherwise, like, it's just not, not going to make right, any for sense. for it to be recognizable. Like, <laughs> so for him to use, like, a part of an ad as his artwork to comment on materialism yeah. um, was very transformative. And um, because the original work was commercial and the new one's purpose was primarily this, this societal commentary, it was found to be transformative and meet this fair use test. So that was okay. Um, and the and the reason I yeah that's a great example yeah and the reason I bring that example is because this idea of the different purpose being either commercial or not was a significant component of the Supreme Court's case uh, in this Andy Warhol case. Uh, so the Supreme Court right. definitely focuses on the transformative use nature under that first factor, like we talked about, um, among other things. But it was you know really. I think the facts are very distinctive, right? In that this Blanche versus Coons case with Jeff Coons, um, the mm-hmm. original work was commercial and the new work was not. The new work was commentary. But in this right. Andy Warhol case, both works were pretty commercial in nature because they were both basically yeah. used to sell magazines. Like that was primarily yeah, their I mean, purpose. literally the front cover. Like <laughs> his work was literally the front cover of this magazine. Yeah, like... I mean, that's so true. Like, I feel like that's the the key difference between those two is, yeah, not only was it, not only were they both commercial, they were both like literally part of the same Vanity Fair magazine. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, not all of Andy Warhol's pieces are. A lot of them are just commentary and not commercial, you know, but like this one, I mean, I feel like that's the big issue. And you're right. The courts did seem to focus on that aspect of the transformative. Yeah. And they, they, the court acknowledged that there was some added expression to the work. Mm -hmm. Um, but just adding some expression is not enough to transform the original work. Um, and just like you said earlier, how changes in medium are not enough to be transformative unless you've added that new purpose or expression here. It's like, he didn't add a new purpose behind the work. Like there wasn't some societal commentary really mm-hmm. being added. I mean, yes, it was honoring Prince's legacy, but also so was the, the original work in a way. Like it just wasn't really right. adding anything other than like a visual expression um, mm-hmm. in order to meet that factor. So, you know, just transforming something visually is not really enough because courts are really going to look behind the meaning and the message of the work to see whether it's transformative. Like that's going to have a really um, big impact on whether it meets this test. Definitely. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like I've gone back and forth between whether or not I feel like the court came out on the right side on this one, but I, I do feel like they did here because of this commercial nature distinguish distinguishing factor. And um, you know, it, but it is a fine line. It's something that maybe another court could have come. Obviously, the district court did come out the other mm-hmm. way because um, it is a balancing test, as you said. But but I do. I feel like they came out on the right side here. And, um, you know, I think it's it's good to look at, like, how this can impact artists moving forward. Yeah. I know we talked about this a lot with public domain and we were talking about sort of the nature of like giving artists this exclusivity period and then allowing others to use the work. I feel like this fair use 
subset of copyright law kind of does a similar thing to that, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's still protecting artists work, but then saying, Hey, if you're doing enough to it, if you're transforming it enough, if you're meeting these fair use factors, like you can use that art to create your own without needing the licenses. So the the um, fair use doctrine is an amazing doctrine. Like we obviously, we would be very limited in society if we weren't able to you know, talk about or use art in our conversations or in different medium and, for, and forms of expression um, as as part of societal discourse. You know, we need to be able to use art and without being limited in every circumstance. So that's why, like, we have this fair use doctrine so that we can use art in educational context. We can use art um, in news context, commentary, parody, satire, like yeah. all of these things, um, which it, it's important. Right. It's very important. So that's why this doctrine is still has a lot of maintained relevancy. And even though, you know, the court didn't find fair use in this case, I I don't think that this case is extremely broad reaching. I don't think that this is, you know, going to be limiting the fair use doctrine um, really a lot. I I mean, there's differing opinions on this. Right. Like some I read an art. I think it was an NPR article that interviewed like two different law professors, basically. And one was kind of like, oh, no, like this is going to limit artists in the future from using other artists work, you know, kind of like sampling other artists work as a form of expression. Um, And then another one was like, no, like it's so limited to this commercial nature and this really famous artist work. Like, I think that's really we talked a lot about the commercial nature. I think that that really is was a way for the court to limit um, was a way for the court to limit this being applied broadly to other cases. Definitely. No, I totally agree. I think that's such a great point. And another just aspect of this case I think is interesting along that vein is, you know, like we kind of hinted at the fact that maybe like Andy Warhol wasn't like the biggest feminist at the time, (laughs) Um, (laughs) to put it lightly. And I think it's, you know, this was a female photographer Mm. whose work he was, you know, creating his own work based off of. And like, as we mentioned, Andy Warhol is no longer living, but she's still alive today and brought the suit. And so I I think that that aspect of this is really cool to see that, um, you know, a female photographer is going to get some some credit for her work on this. Especially over such a famous artist, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, no one knows the name Lynn Goldsmith, but everyone knows Andy Warhol. And so, yeah, for her to be able to prevail against that, yeah. um, I think is really great, too. So, Well, this was such a fun case. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad we got to talk about Fair Use finally, because yes. we love it. And go check out the exhibits at the Met, the MoMA, and yeah. And you Enjoy. decide. Shall you apply your Fair Use factors now. <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, should we wrap it up with a final smasher pass for our season oh one? Oh my god, the last, <laughs> the last one, the last smasher pass. Oh, I know that's hard to say. The last smash, the last smasher pass. pass. I think people are really gonna miss this. Right, it's everyone's favorite. Part. It is everyone's favorite part. <laughs> uh, so oh. I have one today that we we've okay. kind of talked about before, Noel. Like you kind of mentioned this to okay. me. I don't even know. Like oh. Weeks ago. Okay. Joint. What is it? Joint bachelor and bachelorette parties. Smash or pass. Oh, hell no. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's an absolute pass for sure. What? Like, 
I did. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think I did bring this up to you because I was like, is this a thing that's happening? Apparently it is. It's like a new trend. I've never been to one, but I know someone that's attended a joint bachelor. Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I don't want to spill too much on the tea that they did not enjoy it. Um, But also, I I think, okay, I think it's also a pass for me because I think it speaks to some kind of maybe codependency or something yeah that's always right like okay I I mean I think it could be it could be a fun situation like if you're a part of the same friend group from college or something and you share all the same friends like I could see it making sense if it's just like you were all part of one big friend group anyway and now you're just going on a Mm -hmm. trip together like I could see that being yeah like that like I could see that making sense like I'm not gonna say it's never okay or something but I also just feel like when I've heard of it. It always just seems <laughs> a little <laughs> awkward. And also, I think, I don't know, like the one person I know that went on one, she said it, she felt like it was a way for the future husband to kind of control what the wife was doing because he is, has jealousy issues. So obviously that's not, Yikes. not cool. That's a major yeesh. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I just, for those who don't know, if anybody's like confused, like this is like a bachelor and a bachelorette ha- party happening, like not just the same weekend, but all together. Cause like oh, I've heard yeah. of people doing them the same weekend in different places. Yeah, no, no, no. But, like, We're talking like, about all, like literally all, all together. the bridesmaids and groomsmen and everything. They're all, yeah, all, all together. together. Mm-hmm. Like, no, maybe I'm just like too traditional where I'm like, no, like the bride needs the like girl time, the groom needs the guy time. Like, or you know what I mean? So I don't know. Maybe that's of like, you, Noah. No, I know. I'm like, give me those early 2000s movies. Like, I'm <laughs> the first that's coming to mind is The Wedding Date. You know that one with a uh, what is his name? Do I know The Wedding Dermot Date? Mulroney. With Dermot and, Mulroney yeah, yeah, yeah. and Deborah Messing. Of course, I right. know this movie. And Deborah Messing. I fucking yes, yes, love yes. that movie. <laughs> Yes. Wait, did I not? I don't think I knew you were like Wait, obsessed, I'm obsessed with, this with film. that movie. And Amy Adams plays Wait, her younger sister. We've never sister. watched it together. Yeah. Wait, we should watch it together. I literally love this movie. <laughs> we should watch it. It's on Netflix, I think, which our time is running oh, out God, to watch Netflix, yes. apparently. Love that movie so <laughs> yeah. much. Um, it's so good, but you know, well, then you definitely know what I'm talking about. The like little, um, when they go over to London and they all wear the little like golf outfits and they have the whole night out in the bachelorette. And then the guys are like doing their little like tragic night out too, Which like is, all drunk yeah. at the bar. See, I don't want to be a part of the tragic night out. I want to be with the fun. No, I want the fun. <laughs> and it would become tragic if you're with all those guys. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so people are going to come at us for this one, I feel, but it's a hard nah, pass. No I fucking way. Agree. will not catch me. So did you bring one today? I do too. And it's kind of, okay, so it's smash or pass, but it's like two things I want to be weighed against each other. So like one is a smash and one is a pass, basically. Even if they're both smashes, they're both passes. Okay. Okay. I'm a little little confused. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I know. I'm like, that was confusing. Um, Okay. Since we're recording this going into Memorial Day weekend, lots of people do like, you know, little cookouts, barbecues, whatever. I think... A big question is meats or sides, which prevails at the cookout? You know what I'm talking about? This debate. Yeah, (laughs) kind of, right? 
Yeah. Um, well, like meats, as in like you know burgers, hot dogs, bratwurst, like the main yeah. dish that you have grilling right. out that's making you know causing all the smoke, making things smell good. And then the sides, like we got you know mac and cheese, we got potato salad, green beans, all the good you know, stuff, whatever, all the good. Yeah, I I will I will preface that I'm not a big cookout or barbecue person in general so I don't know that I'm the best person to be asking and you know I'm like really I'm a little snooty about my food I know it's because you're such a good cook oh, yourself you're so nice. I I feel that for me it's probably the sides and mm-hmm. don't come for me for this response either but I feel like a lot of these barbecues are also very gender normative where it's like the men are cooking the meat, the women are preparing the sides. <laughs> and right. for a lot of men, <laughs> not all though. men, not all men guys. Um, Cause I say my dad is really good at barbecuing. Like I love when he, so is my dad. Like, he cooks Shout everything out to really the well. Shout out. Um, but yeah. I feel like a lot of men are like, I'm so good at grilling, but then they're just charring the shit out of this meat and like overcooking it and it's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I you agree. Know? And it's nasty. And it's, it's like the last thing, like it could go really well or go really wrong, right. you know, like it's kind of like the last minute thing that's happening live, like the live <laughs> event, whereas the sides are like prepped and the brought in are, ahead are of time. true. They're, they're <laughs> tried and, and true. true. Yes. We know what they're going to be like. We always know that macaroni is going to be banging. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah. The mac. It's the potato salad for me. I feel me. also I'm a, more of a, a science person salad. because I'm I'm yeah. not like I do. I mean, I love to eat meat, but I don't know if if I have. I could do uh, that. Yeah. Like I would like a little yeah. meat and then I'm I'm like I'm not going to eat a burger and a hot dog, you know, like that's too much. Right. Who's doing that? I mean, a lot of people do that, right. but not me. So, yeah, I'd rather just eat a lot of potato yeah. salad. So we'll take the bachelorette party with all the women bringing the sides. <laughs> and the bachelors can have they're their grilling grilled meats. meats and their carnivore <laughs> diets. Yeah. So I guess Hello. overall, cookout <laughs> is a smash. I'm not sure how yeah. it fits. It's a smash. The sides, the sides are, are a smash, smash over the meats. Basically, it's like picking yeah. one over the other. So smash to the sides. Smash. Pass to pa- the meats. Pass. I don't know. <laughs> Pass to over. If you have to pass, smash yeah. to Memorial Day Great. weekend. I hope everyone ha- smash Memorial yeah, Day weekend. I hope weekend. everyone had a fun long weekend. If you if you got to observe, yes. observe the holiday, hope everyone had fun. And I think this is coming out on June first, so Happy Pride Month! Too, oh my gosh, when this comes out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> amazing. All right, love everyone. Love our LTG yeah, Thanks for sticking with us this season. Thank you for listening to this episode of Licensed to Gossip. Tune in next week for more juicy hot goss with a legal twist. This episode is produced by Ryko Theatricals. Follow us on all the socials at License to Gossip and DM us to share your thoughts on our latest debrief. Don't forget, I'm Allie. And I'm Noelle. Later, Later, babes. babes.